Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to the 13th episode of The Joshua Perry Show. Of course, I'm your host, former Buckeye captain, national champ, former NFL player, and current Big Ten Network and 97.1 The Fan Analyst, Joshua Perry. This is the podcast where we talk sports, life, and everything else. We are broadcasting on the Zedia Network. Follow at Zedia Network on Twitter for big-time podcasting great content. Also, if you're interested in sponsorship for this show, The Joshua Perry Show, or others that are on the Zedia Network, DM at Zedia Network on Twitter. My guy, Andrew Zolden, who's running this thing, produces the show, doing a great job. He can get you set up with some sponsorship. We'd love to be able to rep your business out here, give you a little pub. You help us, we help you. It's a fantastic relationship that we can have. All right, running through this show, I think this is going to be a pretty quick one. We talk about the news coming out of the Big Ten uh, with Ohio State and Maryland being canceled due to COVID-19. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of the other cancellations throughout college football, too, because, you know, this week seems like a really bad week, especially in the SEC with some of the stuff going on there. We'll talk about what's wrong with Michigan, which is a topic that warms my heart a little bit. As somebody who covers the Big Ten, I want Michigan to be good. As somebody who played for Ohio State and is a Buckeye fan at heart. I don't give a damn about Michigan. Um, And then I'll talk about some stuff that I got going on, just, you know, personal life, business life, really cool stuff. Just want to keep you updated on. And then I'll end you off with the word of the week. And that word is exhaustion. Very good word. So start off with this news coming out of the Big Ten. Ohio State and Maryland canceled due to COVID-19 cases at Maryland. Uh, Maryland with at least eight players testing positive over the last seven days. uh, That caused them to pause their football-related activities. Um, This is a scenario because it is the Big Ten Conference where this game will not be rescheduled. And that cancellation leaves Ohio State with seven regular season games. Now, the Big Ten has made it so that in order to play in the conference championship game, member schools have to play six games. Or if there is a rash of mass cancellations throughout the Big Ten, they can play no more than two less than the average number of games played throughout the conference. So if the Big Ten plays like seven games, you could play no less than five and still be eligible for the conference championship. Um, Now, for me, my concerns don't necessarily come with the actual cancellation. I, I, you know, I'm maybe a little bit naive, but I think that the Big Ten compared to some of the other conferences have done a good enough job with their handling of this pandemic that, um, you know, it's really been Wisconsin that's had cancellations and now Maryland. But outside of that, it hasn't been at multiple schools that have caused cancellations like we've seen throughout other conferences. So I feel like Ohio State gets to the finish finish line in terms of playing enough games. I think that the reps that Ohio State misses because this game with Maryland is canceled are so valuable. And I'm looking to a young secondary who has struggled with angles and tackling and communication and some of the fundamental things of playing football. They needed these reps, especially against the Maryland team that has Rakim Jarrett, who's a five-star guy, supposed to go to LSU, flipped to Maryland. They've got uh, Dante Demas Jr., who's a really good wide receiver. Um, they've got Jayshon Jones, another great wide receiver and a quarterback, and Talia Tungavailoa, who can really sling that ball around and extend plays. It really would have been a challenge for the secondary. I'm thinking about an offensive line that 
you know, showed some weaknesses toward the interior. They're not getting push up front when they're running the ball. We've seen holding penalties and, and just sloppy play there. Would have been good to get those reps. A run game where you feel like you want the running backs to really get into a rhythm and start to get comfortable for Ohio State. They're going to miss out on those reps, and I think that's what's valuable here. And they'll be coming off of an off week, which, you know, a bye week in and of itself can be positive because you can really focus on yourself and get guys healthy, et cetera. But they'll be coming back to Indiana, who top 10 team now, they're 3-0. and They've beaten Penn State. They've beaten Michigan. They've done a really good job this year. They've got a ton of offensive skill. Michael Penix Jr., their quarterback, Ty Freifogel, wide receiver, Wap Fillier, wide receiver, Peyton Hendershot, tight end, uh, Stevie Scott, a running back who's doing a pretty good job. Like, they're going to present a, a big challenge and for Ohio State at this point in the season to maybe get out of rhythm or to maybe be now lacking some of the reps that would have been so valuable for them to have. You know, this is the big issue that I see. Now, it's not just the Big Ten. It's not just Ohio State and Maryland this week. It's the SEC that's having these issues. Now, the big difference for the SEC is they have a schedule that's built in to be able to accommodate some of these issues. They can uh, move games to the back end of the season so they can still play them. The Big Ten started at such a point that they don't have that type of leeway to, to move the schedule around to accommodate these games. But you look at the SEC this weekend, number one, Alabama at LSU, that's postponed. Number five, Texas A&M at Tennessee, that's postponed. Number 12, Georgia at Missouri, that's postponed. And number 24, Auburn at Mississippi State, that as well is postponed. Over 50 FBS games have been canceled this fall. So here's the deal, right? You look at it, Texas A&M is a team that's in that conversation right now for the college football player after sitting in that five spot. You know, do we still believe in Notre Dame? What's going to happen with Clemson? All these questions that we're asking. They're a team that's in that competition. Alabama, the number one team in the nation, is going to be off this weekend due to COVID concerns. And the question we start to ask now is, should the college football playoff look at moving their games to a later date in January. If you have games of consequence or teams of consequence and games that aren't going to be played, you almost want to give yourself the opportunity to allow for those games to be rescheduled at some point between when the selection committee makes a selection um, and the end of what is now the current end of the season. Like you want to be able to open that up and you would do that by moving those games later into January, you know, kind of mid-month, whatever it would be. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. Uh, this, this year is going to be strange for the committee because they're definitely going to be picking off of the eye test more than they're going to be picking off of body of work. You could have a scenario where there's an Ohio State team that played six regular season games in a conference championship and – you're comparing them to other teams that would have played, you know, 11 games this year. And the body of work would be really hard to discern, especially if it's Ohio State and their best win of the year could be Indiana or Northwestern in a conference championship game, right? Like, it's really hard to say that you had a true evaluation on that team. A lot of that evaluation process is just the fact that 
Justin Fields to this point has completed 87% of his passes. And you feel like nobody can guard both Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Uh, but those are not necessarily um, battle-tested ideas that we have. It's just what we, we've seen. Um, and so I'm really curious as to how this will be handled. But uh, it seems like this is the worst week thus far for big-time college football in terms of COVID and cancellations of games. And I'm not necessarily convinced that we're out of the woods with it because of the way that COVID numbers are trending nationally. Um, you know, it's it's not a pretty sight. States are starting to, to tighten back down with more restrictions because the spread of COVID is starting to run more rampant within communities. It's going to be the same thing through these college programs and on college campuses. And I think um, it would be prudent to allow a little bit more flexibility if you're the college football playoff for these conferences to figure out how they're going to handle it. But that's a situation for us to absolutely monitor as it moves forward. I want to change gears a little bit and I want to talk about one of my favorite topics and that is the University of Michigan and uh, some of the woes that they are having as a program. Um, they are off to a rousing one and two start this year. Don't know if anybody would have predicted that they would be looking this bad, but they are. Um, as somebody who is a supporter of the Big Ten Conference, it's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, as somebody who is a, a proclaimed Michigan hater, I am absolutely here for it. Um, but they really struggled, and, and their struggles were on display again against Indiana this past weekend. And really, it was the same thing we saw versus Michigan State, man. Their secondary is atrocious. They are not very good. And I hate to say that it's a personnel issue um, because I think that they have better players than what they're playing. But I think it is a combination of the personnel that exists there and, um, and the play calling and the system that a stubborn defensive coordinator wants to stick to and won't deviate from. And for me, Michigan looking as bad as they have, um, it's, it's just, it's really troubling. You're looking at year six for Jim Harbaugh and it, it, I mean, it looks worse than year one, you know, dating back to that loss that they took to Ohio state, the 62 to 39 loss, they're 10 and eight, uh, dating back to then, you know, like barely over 500. It's a bad situation to be in. You dig deeper into Harbaugh's tenure, one first round NFL draft pick on offense since arriving. And that was Cesar Ruiz. Uh, in this 2020 draft, they're 0 and 2 versus, or I'm sorry, 0 and 5 versus Ohio State, uh, 3 and 3 versus Michigan State. You know, it's it's, whew, like it's rough. And then you start to to see the product on the field. In in the game against Michigan State, Joe Milton had to drop back 50 times. In the game against Indiana, they ran the ball 18 times, which is not enough. But they only accumulated 13 yards on those 18 rushes. You know, like there, there are some real issues within that program. I talked about the secondary. It's either big play pass over their head or those guys are, are committing holding or pass interference. It seems like every rep that they take out there, but you flip it to the offense and 
their O-line is completely depleted. And, and I get it. They had a lot of guys move on. I think they had, you know, four new starters on that offensive line. And, um, but the, the fact, too, is that those guys should be developed, man. I feel like the development is definitely lacking. And then, like I said, out of that running back room, They've got guys that they roll through there, but to only accumulate 13 yards rushing on Indiana, let's 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 be completely honest here. Indiana's improved, but they're not a team that should be holding a, a Michigan to 13 yards on the ground. That is just a bad day. And the offensive line troubles are affecting Joe Milton, 53% completion. And part of it is some of the accuracy. They were taking shots down the field and he didn't connect. But uh, the other part of it, man, is he is flustered. Like you see him drop back and he's, he's flushed out of the pocket and doesn't keep his eyes downfield. He doesn't go through his read progression. He takes unnecessary hits too, which is something that young quarterbacks do. But, I mean, the play is just – it's rough for them. And uh, you got to ask the question, man, what's, what's wrong? Is it, is it, is it personnel, which I'm, you know, apprehensive to say that it would be, I lean more toward player development. I lean more toward coaching. And then, you know, on, on the, on the personnel aspect too, I, I do look at the recruiting plan because uh, I don't think going into, into Massachusetts and recruiting guys and getting beat by BC and recruiting battles is necessarily a way to build a program. But even so, I think there's too much talent on that roster for them to be looking as bad as they do. Uh, they got Wisconsin coming up next, which is going to be probably another punch in the face. Uh, if Graham Mertz ends up actually playing in this game, I think it's game over. Um, Wisconsin's got a couple of guys on their offense as well uh, that can make some big plays and they've got a tight end in Jake Ferguson who um, is a, a big target and a big part of what they do. So Michigan can't sort out the issues that they've had in the last two games that have led to them looking so bad. Um, it's going to be another week, and they'll, they'll start off this season one in three in a year where the margin for error is very slim. That's exactly what you don't want to do if you're the boys in blue up there. Um, I want to switch gears off of football here for a sec. I want to talk about um, something really cool, an opportunity that I have that I'm really excited about. So um, obviously I'm a media guy now. Uh, you know, I do this podcast. I do work on Big Ten Network, 97.1 The Fan. Um, and I've got a couple of other really cool projects lined up in the hopper that will be coming out fairly soon that I think a lot of fans of this show would be excited about. But one of the cool things that I get to do now um, as somebody who is growing and learning myself in this media space is I get invited to, um, to speak to students, media students, and I get invited to co-teach classes um, on broadcast media, broadcast journalism. And it's really cool. Um, I've done this now a couple of times. I'm getting ready to do a third session on Friday and the students are extremely engaging. It's really, really fun. And I think the fun for me is I'm learning and I'm growing in this space every day. And so it's really cool to be around folks who are also trying to learn and grow in a space um, and, and really impart knowledge. And one of the things that I'm going to harp on uh, this week when I speak is the idea of new media and how folks that are my contemporaries grew up with 
cell phones in hand and social media and the internet. So we are not only, uh, we're, we're, we're essentially, we're content creators, all of us. And that means that we are, um, we're producers in a way. It means that we ourselves are talent in a way and how to seize that opportunity and that advantage. And, and for me, it was coming over into the podcasting space. It gives me control. It's something I can do digitally. Um, it allows me to create that content that is old school in the sense that, um, you know, it feels like a radio show in a lot of ways, but it's new school in the sense that we can do some cool things with it. I can put the video component to it. Uh, we can make this interactive. We've talked about different ways to try to do that, um, which is really awesome. Uh, we've got another project coming up that relates to what I'll tell them, but um, we can also be anytime, any place with our content and how we create it. Facebook Live, Instagram Live, Periscope on Twitter. Like those are all ways to broadcast media um, and do it at a moment's notice. And one thing that we've learned through research in this space is that um, the TV thing I do is really cool and I enjoy it. And that is relevant in the moment that it's relevant and then it dies. But what happens when you have something, uh, some content that you want to disseminate to people and it's not your six o'clock hour so you can't get on TV? And the easy solution to that is exactly what I said is you can get on Facebook Live, you can get on Instagram Live, you can get on Twitch. Like if you have a Twitch channel, you can open that up and now you can communicate that information um, and you can do it on demand. Whenever you're ready to send a message, you can send a message. Um, and as we've seen, like with ESPN, for example, with the amount of layoffs that they've done and um, how they've reshuffled their lineup on uh, their radio shows and everything else, it is uh, valuable to be in control of the content, number one, but also in control of the means of distribution and how that information is disseminated. And that's something I want to really hammer home uh, with the students I'll be teaching this Friday, but it's, it's super cool. I enjoy being able to share and impart knowledge with people. Talked about mentorship last week on this show. This falls right in line with it, but uh, this media space is rapidly evolving and I get to see both sides of it with some of the more traditional TV radio type things, but I also get to see the other side of it with um, the new media, the digital stuff, the podcasting, you know, all the, the other ways that it can be done. It's super exciting. So I wanted to share that. Uh, also wanted to give a little bit of lesson here on the other part of my career, and that is uh, real estate. So I've been onboarding new clients still during this football season, even though I'm traveling uh, back and forth to Chicago, I have the means to um, onboard new clients and service my clients uh, very professionally with some of the best service that you will receive in this industry. You can ask my former clients who I've worked with during football season or any other time of the year, and they'll tell you that uh, I'm one of the best in terms of being attentive and making sure they're taken care of. Uh, one thing I wanted to holler at is where our local market is here in Columbus. Um, there is a thought process from some people who I speak to that they are going to wait to transact, to buy a home because they want to try to time the market. They want to scoop up homes for 
pennies on the dollar like we saw in 2008 because of the COVID economic suppression that's happened and some of the, uh, the restrictions that have caused the economy to tighten up in a number of sectors. Folks are expecting that to expand into real estate, um, you know, with impending layoffs and, and folks who are uh, landlords maybe who aren't collecting on rent in, in different areas. And I would, I would say this to those people is timing the market is absolutely a fool's errand. Nobody can do it accurately. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally impossible to time the market. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't hedge my biggest investment and personal asset on trying to time it perfectly. I tell my clients, and I believe this to be true, that there is no better time than now to buy. And that is historically true because prices historically only go up. And even if they do dip, it's for a short period. And, and you have to know when that period's coming in. None of us do. Um, so there's that. The second thing is specifically for the Columbus market, our Columbus listeners, speaking to the health of this market, we are in an unprecedented inventory shortage in Columbus. And a healthy real estate market has six months of inventory. So what that means is if all of the inventory that was on the market was only what existed, it would take six months of that amount of inventory. Um, it would take six months for that inventory to, to disappear. And that six month number represents a neutral market. It's not a buyer's market. It's not a seller's market. If it's more than six months of inventory, that would lean to a buyer's market. If it's less than six months of inventory, which is a shortage of homes, that would lean toward a seller's market, which is what we have right now. But here's the kicker. We are in the city of Columbus at about uh, one and a half months of inventory. So, uh, we have an unprecedented inventory shortage, which means that um, you're, you're going to end up in very competitive situations as of today. And it would take a drastic market swing for this market to exist where homes would go for pennies on the dollar like we saw in the aftermath of the 2008 recession. Um, if you look at the charts that the economists do, there was a prediction that there would be a V-shaped recovery in the COVID suppression. And today we have seen that V-shaped recovery. So it went down, it went back up. Um, that was the expectation. That's what we've seen. The COVID suppression briefly hit the real estate market and solely because folks just weren't allowed to go out. But when folks learned that real estate was an essential business, people were back out and they were back out like crazy. The other factor that lies here is how low interest rates are. They're historically low. Um, I mean, if you, if you've got a 720 FICO, um, you could, you could probably get 3% or less and if you're looking at a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage, it's absolutely ridiculous, like 2.5% with some of these lenders. Um, the, the low interest rate environment coupled with uh, the, the lack of homes means that it's competitive. It means that 
prices are going to rise, but it also means that you should consider getting in now because this market shows no signs of turning anytime soon. And the difference between buying today and buying six months from now, depending on the neighborhood, could be ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. I'll I'll finish with this. Was, uh, I listed a home in the Westerville area. I ran the comps for the neighborhood. The comps were about uh, $320,000. My client wanted to list the home for three, for three forty nine nine. So that would have been what roughly $30,000 over what the comps were. Um, for me, I don't like to list high like that because I don't like my clients' properties to sit, but you know, it's up to them at the end. We had a conversation about it. They felt confident in that list price. I felt confident that, um, that the market would at least generate some showing interest. And then from there we could come up with something. We were on the market for 36 hours. We had, um, like 28 showings and we ended up going $17,000 over list price. Um, so not only was that the highest sale, uh, not stop. Not only was that the highest list price ever in that subdivision, it was the highest sale, um, in that subdivision by far. And the home almost appraised it appraised like $3,000 short. Um, but you know, the buyer was willing to make up that shortfall in the appraisal uh, in cash at closing, but it just goes to show in this market where the demand is at, um, the value that exists. So if you're a buyer waiting, time might not be on your side right now. Um, you know, you could end up in a situation where you thought you were going to wait and you thought you were going to get a deal and you end up paying $20,000 more for the same house six months from now. Um, also this is to say that if you're somebody who's looking to sell a home and whether it's you want to sell and downsize, whether it's you want to sell and you want to find something with more land, maybe it's you want to capitalize on the tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equity that you have today. And you want to roll that equity into the next mortgage on a bigger and better home. This is the time to do it. Like I said, if you're a seller in this market, one, one and a half months of inventory compared to six months in a, in a healthy neutral market, you have all of the leverage, all of the leverage. I mean, you know, like you can, and I see it, like homes go within hours, depending on the price point, cash sales, quick close, and you can determine the terms of the sale. You can have possession after you close. You know, you can name it, like name the terms you want on the deal and you can have it in this market. So folks, if you want to jump into this thing, um, give me a call. You know, my, my number is out there. I'm not going to pimp it out here. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at RIP underscore JEP on Instagram at RIP underscore JEP. But um, it's, it's a hell of a market. It's a hell of a time to transact. And I'm about care for my clients. I, I'm about educating my clients. But I just wanted to, to give that little tidbit. I don't talk about real estate very often on this show. But I just felt like that was some information I needed to share with you all. Um, all right. So I want to end this show off the right way with my word for the week. And that word is exhaustion. Exhaustion is defined as a state of extreme physical or mental fatigue, also defined as a state of being completely used up. 
um, there's been a lot of fatigue in my life, mentally and physically. I've been traveling back and forth to Chicago by car these last few weeks, um, you know, five and a half hours. It's um, definitely not the easiest thing to do. Uh, when I get to Chicago, a lot of times we'll, we'll, I'll be working most of the day Friday. Um, you know, I'll leave the studio as late as 1130 p.m. some nights when we have to cover night games. And I'll turn around uh, on Saturday and be back in the studio prepping for shows at 7 a.m. Um, and that day will go from 7 a.m. to uh, midnight or later Saturday night into Sunday morning. So there's, there's a level of physical fatigue there. There's also a level of mental fatigue that comes along with it, having to uh, know the different stats and know the different coaches and know the, the different personnel for each team, um, having to know the history in the games and uh, some of the different notes causes a little bit of mental fatigue and, and, and mental fog at times too. Um, it's something I, I take great pride in to make sure that I, I'm caring for myself physically and mentally throughout the week, but um, exhaustion absolutely does come into play. Um, that is exhaustion from me exerting myself personally and some external factors like work and travel, right? But there's a state of also the state of being completely used up, right? And so when I think of that, it is, um, that's, that's the exhaustion from people just draining you, right? So, you know, folks asking for favors, folks asking you for help on different things that um, maybe aren't, uh, they, they don't pay the, say, the same dividends as some of your more um, work-oriented activities or, or family-oriented activities, right? That leads to exhaustion. Like, I don't think some people realize how some of their actions can use somebody else up to a point of exhaustion. And I do it too. It's not to point fingers at anybody else. It's just to consider, um, you know, how this exhaustion thing works. Um, you know, external factors like following this election for the last week and a half has, has caused me and uh, some of my emotional ways to be used up. And I think a lot of us are there um, on both sides of this thing and in, in how we're feeling. And so um, we have to, in our lives, find ways to combat exhaustion, right? We have to find ways to keep ourselves energized and to rejuvenate ourselves when we do hit that point. And whether that is, you know, carving out, I don't know, 30 minutes to take a nap on a weekday, whether that is binge watching one of your favorite television shows, whether that is having a cocktail at home in silence, um, or whether you, you re-energize yourself by, you know, running around with the kids or the family or whatever the case is. Uh, combat exhaustion in your life, you never want to be at an extreme. And especially when that extreme is physical or mental fatigue, you never want to feel completely used up. So as we get there and as our lives become hectic and it takes us there, we just have to make sure that we are doing the things that we need to do to make sure that we do not stay there. So with that, I'm going to end this show think it's been a pretty good one. Uh, I'd like to thank my all-star producer, Andrew Zolden. He's the best in the business, keeps this thing running. Again, I uh, want to let you know that we are interested 
in more sponsorship opportunities for you people. So holler at us at Zedia Network on Twitter. Um, hit my guy Zolden in the DMs. He can get you set up on some sponsorship. But we appreciate you listening. I'm Joshua Perry, and this is The Joshua Perry Show. <laughs>